regularly, and uh, we've we've done a, a pretty good job of exhausting, uh, doing a lot to try to exhaust that topic as much as possible. But we'll hit on it, and then a couple others that perhaps we don't spend as much time on, but are are things that will not be new to us, but need to be brought to remembrance from time to time. And so I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Deuteronomy chapter number 5 and verse number 1. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. Father, once again we come to you. We ask that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're living in a day where a lot goes on in the name of Christianity that is not tied to Christianity. I think we could all be in agreement that there are a lot of meetings today and groups of folks meeting together and people standing on platforms and stages and pulpits and they are claiming to be a church and to teach things. I was listening to one preacher and he put it this way. He said a lot of the, a lot of the things that go on today... Uh, by the name of church, uh, well, it's called church, is really nothing more than just trying to entertain a crowd for a while. And he says and a lot of times a, a preacher will get up and they'll maybe, 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 if they're uh, halfway of a church at all, they'll read a text from Scripture, although I know a lot of churches that won't even do that. But they'll read a text of Scripture and then uh, they will bring in some kind of either an exciting story or they may have a prop or some several props on the stage, and they'll talk about this prop, and they'll preach the illustration, if you will. They'll, they'll pull points from their illustration and not from the authority of God's Word. Uh, or, they, or they may get up, and they, there's nothing that'll excite a crowd any more than to hear somebody get up and say, I've got something brand new you've never heard before. It's a new revelation. God gave it to me. And these are things that appeal to the ears of people who come to churches. Um, they want to be entertained. I remember a number of years ago, we had some young teenage boys that had uh, felt like God maybe wanted them to be preachers. And so uh, one of our youth conferences, we gave each of them, I think it was seven or eight minutes apiece to preach a message. And uh, we had a couple of seasoned preachers that uh, sat there and took some notes and kind of offered some suggestions and thoughts to them. And one of the young men got up. He had a great passage of Scripture. He had great truths from Scripture. And he read his text and immediately launched into an illustration. He had had points that were all part of his passage of Scripture. And he would say his point, and then rather than point them to the verse and show them where it says that in the Bible, he would refer back to his illustration. And he would use his illustration as the foundation for the point. And I remember writing a note to him that, that week. I, I, uh, he, was, he was a young man that I knew and could influence a little bit and talk with him a little bit later on. And I put a note on there, great outline, great passage, but you need to preach the text, not the illustration. Because the truth is, the illustration is not what holds the authority of that truth. To be honest with you, the pastor getting up and preaching some points that he feels people ought to do and ought to abide by is not the authority either. There is no authority that preaching outside of the Word of God. The Bible is the cornerstone. It is the, it is the foundation that we preach and we build on top of that foundation when we preach. And, and so a lot of churches, they're out here and they're doing a lot of things to gain a crowd. Uh, they're, they're not 
they're not teaching people well. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're keeping them on the milk of the word, if you will, at best, if if even that. But we're living in a world where our our society, our world as a whole, is in moral decline without without a doubt. I mean, either you'd have to be blind to say that there's not a problem with morality in our world. There's a problem with the uh, ethics of people, their character, their integrity, uh, the the proper uh, use of of treating one another with respect. Uh, there's, a, there's problems politically in our country. There's problems economically in our country. And I'll go so far as to say this, probably the deepest problem we have is one of spiritual nature. Uh, spiritually, we have a problem. And how a, a man can get up or a church can uh, decide that, uh, that, that they can deal with these very, very serious problems that our world has and use their, their mindset or their rationale or their authority... That's what got us into the messes. And how in the world we think we can get out of them without that? There were some responsibilities that I think the Bible teaches us here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. There are some responsibilities that we as God's people have to the Word of God and to the authority of the Word of God. Notice what Moses says here uh, to this, or what the, the writer of Deuteronomy says here about this thing with Moses. The Bible says, And Moses called all Israel, and he said unto them, here's the first one, Hear, O Israel. You've got to hear God's Word. You've got to read it. You've got to have an understanding of it. There needs to be a hearing of God's Word. The Bible says in the book of Romans, now then, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And uh, we're living in a world that does not want to hear it. I remember reading the story of Stephen, uh, the deacon that was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, and he stood and he preached. And the Bible said that the people were pricked in their hearts so much so that the Bible says it this way, they stopped their ears. That means they put their hands or their fingers over their ears. They were, they were doing that. I remember uh, every once in a while my kids will uh, be trying to tell me something that I don't want to hear. Uh, the other night, last night, my daughter was getting on to me about my health and some issues I've been having. And uh, she's crying and she's sobbing. She's like, Dad, you gotta, you got to take care of this. you got to deal with this. And... Uh, and, and I was just like, la, 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 I'm not listening. You know, that's, that's kind of what we do. And this is what I, I think these folks, when they were pricked to the heart, they didn't want to hear. And they ran on him, the Bible says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth because they did not want to hear. In fact, the Bible tells us that in the last days, they will not endure sound doctrine. But they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they, what they like to hear. And the, the, there are ministries and there are churches that are doing this by the droves and, and trying to do this. So our first responsibility to the Word of God is we've got to hear the Word of God. There ought to be a desire for us to hear the Word of God. We ought to long to hear it. We ought to long to read it. Uh, and, and again, these are, these are issues that we've preached on a lot. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this part of it because you guys know this. You've heard it before. But notice what else he says here. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may what? Learn them. Now, this is one that, again, we teach on this and we preach on this a lot, but we need to not only hear it, we need to learn it. That means don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Let's let it be engraved on the tablets of the heart. Let's let these truths, when we come to Scripture, when we come to church and we're going to hear truth taught, or whether, or maybe we're reading our Bibles in our devotion time that week and we're looking for some truth that God is going to give to us, we need to do it with a mind that is focused and, 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 and dedicated to and, and void of distractions because we don't want to just hear the truth and read it. 
We want to know it. We want to learn it. We want to become part of what this, this mind can understand. How many of you, when you meet somebody new, have a hard time remembering names? You're like I am, okay? I, I struggle with that. As a pastor, I, 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 there's a secret I have found. That when I introduce myself, and I'm nervous because I've just met, I don't know this person, and I say, hi, I'm Pastor Greg, or I'm Brother Greg, and I shake my hands, usually my mind is whirling out of, out of um, being shy, and, and, and the adrenaline's running because I'm trying to introduce myself to them. I'm worried about me telling them what that my name is. That when they tell me what their name is, my brain is not catching it. And I've learned a secret that if from the very beginning, I, I don't even worry about what my name is. I, I say, hey, my name is Greg, and I'm focused already, before I even say my name, I'm focused on what is their name. I need to know their name. I met a fellow yesterday. His name was David. He goes to First Baptist Church in Arnold. And uh, I still remember his name. Uh, because I remembered when I went to go shake his hand, as I'm reaching to shake his hand and introduce myself, I, I was focused on, I need to know this guy's name. And, and I focused on it. I, I made a purpose of it. I, I made sure that there was nothing that was distracting me from knowing what this guy's name was. And as we carried on the conversation, about ten minutes into it, I used his name again, and I, I could remember his name. And I thought of this. If we could do that with Scripture, instead of just reading it and kind of casually hoping that maybe some truth will pop out at us randomly. Come to it expecting there to be truth. And I'm going to, I'm going to learn this truth. I want, to, I want to hold on to it. I want to hold fast to what I'm learning to. And so the, the second responsibility we have, not only to hear the Word of God, but to learn it and, and to make it a part of what we know. Notice what else he says here. <clears throat> he says, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them, and notice this, and keep them. <coughs> I wrote down here, memorize it. Make it part of your heart, not just part of your head. Because uh, we are forgetful people. Keeping it. Letting it be, become a part of you. To where it is literally part of the makeup of your personality. Let this book do a transforming work in you. Let it become part of you. And then notice he says here to do them. Now, these are the four things... That, that Moses tells the nation of Israel that they are responsible for when it comes to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Now, if that's the case, if, if that is the case, and the Bible tells us, at least in this illustration of it, that those are the four things we should do. We need to hear it, we need to learn it, we need to uh, know it, and we need to do it. Uh, keep it and do it, excuse me. Uh, these are things that will help us in dealing with the problems of the world. The moral issues, the ethical issues, the political issues, the economic issues, and most importantly, the spiritual issues. Because a lot of the, the problems that we face are not because we don't hear the Word of God. It's usually because we don't remember it or we don't do it. And, and therefore, we just continue to let these problems progress in our life. Somebody said this one time. He said, I, I think it was uh, Brother, um, Brother Sexton in Powell, Tennessee, I think was the one that said, made this statement. And I don't know if, he, if it was original with him or if he got it from somewhere else. But he said, if we're going to change the future, we have to disturb the present. If we're going to change the future, you have to disturb the present. You, you can't keep doing what you've always done and expect a different outcome. So if there are problems with our world and we're not, we're not part of that solution, then let's change some things to become part of that solution. Let's be the salt in this earth. Let's be the light to this world. Let's be the city that is set on the hill that cannot be hit. Let's be the one that can help make a difference in bringing the truth of God's Word into the world. 
And in order to do that, we cannot just hear the Word of God. We must know it, we must keep it, and we must do it. These are things that become very profound. There's a diligence, there's a a focus that's given here. And so, I want to charge you with three things here this afternoon. First of all, we need to come back to, in in our pulpits especially, but I would say in every believer's life, in every Christian's life, we must come back to the Bible being our foundation of authority. If there's any truth that we're going to speak, if there's any truth that we're going to know and have a hold of, we've got to be able to point to it and say, there it is in Scripture, thus saith the Lord. Because to say, our pastor taught me this, is not a good enough reason. I know your pastor. I know him probably better than you do. He is not a good authority on things. But he has a great authority that he can look to. And he can help share it with you. And folks, we've got to have this. And again, I've taught this so many times that you guys ought to have this down and then some. The Bible's got to be our sole authority, faith, and practice. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. I'm just going to give you this one verse and then we're going to move on. And I'm not going to belabor this point. Uh, But it is foundational to the other two. Jeremiah chapter number 8. And let's look in verse number 9. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 9. The Bible says this, The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them. You know what Jeremiah is saying here? The only wisdom that is true wisdom, the only only thing that can be the foundation of these things from these wise men, is God's word. These preachers that get up and they... In one, in one side of their mouth, they say, there's, there's some problems with our Bible. But then in the next phrase, they're saying, but I want you to believe this truth, and it's based on the Bible. That might have some errors in it, is what they're saying. They don't say it that way, but that's what they're saying. Folks, this book is pure. It is, it is inspired, it is infallible, it is without error, and must be, or we have no authority to preach. We might as well close the doors of the church, and if you all want to, we can have a singing and a meal, but that would be about all we can accomplish here. Because there would be no authority. You could come and hear my opinion every week, but what good is that? I know my opinions. They stink. This book is the authority. It's what we have to hold to. And again, I've preached this many, many times. I'm not going to belabor that point. So, in order for us to make a difference in this world, in order for us to get back to being salt and light, and to be a city that's set on it, to make a difference... We need to hear it, we need to learn it, we need to keep it, we need to do it. This book. When we do that, the second thing that has to happen is we need to pursue God's power resting upon us to do His work. When Jesus told His disciples early on to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, if you weren't a saved Christian and knew better, if that was the first time you'd ever heard that, most of us would look at that and say, that's impossible. I can't go into all the world. If every Christian in the world stood up and tried to preach the gospel, it would take us a lifetime and then some to share it with everybody in the world, wouldn't it? Here's, here's these disciples, just a handful of them. They're seeing Christ ascend back into heaven, and He's telling them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How in the world are they going to accomplish this? One of the Gospels records something else that the Lord told them on the heels of that. He said, but 
tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. I've often questioned this. Are we out of God's will, doing God's work, God's way, with His Word, but without His power? Without relying on His strength. Now, I'm not talking about this gibberish stuff that these churches do where they, they get slain in the Spirit and they talk in tongues. That is not God's power. God's power is a mighty working in the heart of the one that is hearing the truth that you're speaking. It's when the Holy Spirit does something in their heart beyond what you're able to do. And He does go before us and He does enable us to have that kind of power and that kind of working in those lives. We ought to be pursuing after this. If there's going to be a difference made, I, I love the fact that we have a church that loves Scripture, and, and I, get, I get phone calls from our people, Pastor, I'm in this passage. you got a minute? Let's look at it together. And they'll, they'll talk to me about passage. I love that. And sometimes we come to a good understanding, and sometimes we're not quite understood on it, but we're working on them. And we're laboring. I love studying Scripture. I love that we have people that have a heart for Scripture. But it's not enough for us to simply sit, soak, and sour. We've got to go into the world and we've got to take what we know and share it with them. And we cannot do it in our own might, in our own power. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah chapter number 55. <coughs> Isaiah chapter number 55, look in verse number 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven... And returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now, let me stop for a minute. How many of us can control the rain? None of us. How many of us can control the snow? None of us. God's the one that can do those things so that it brings forth fruit. He says, that's the same way that my word shall go forth. Notice he says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And we must come to a realization that when we go and share the gospel with somebody, when we're giving uh, the, the, the truth of God's Word to somebody to help make a difference in their life, that it is not us doing the work. We're obeying by giving the gospel out, but God's the one that has to do a transforming work in their life. His Word is the one that's got to make a, an impact in their life. There's got to be a moving of the Holy Spirit of God in their hearts, and there's not one of us in here today that can cause that to happen. So we need to pursue, Lord, I need Your Holy Spirit's power to go before me and to prepare the heart. When we go to share the Gospel, I think it ought to be a prayer we pray every day and not neglect it. How, I, I, don't, show, don't, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of us... Just a hypothetical question. How many of us pray every day, Lord, give me some opportunity. Bring somebody across my path today. I would hope that the vast majority of us do that almost on a daily basis, if not a daily basis. Lord, give me opportunity today. Bring someone across my path today. But then how many of us say, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to do a work in that person's heart and prepare it before I even get there? Or do a work through the, 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 the Word that I share with them. Help bring to mind. That's that knowing, keeping, doing. Help bring to my mind the verses that the Holy Spirit will use in that person's heart to effect a change. How many times do we pray for this? 
when Jesus told His disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, you know what they did? They got a room. 120 of them. They met in it. And they gave themselves to prayer. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they prayed over. But I'm going to tell you this. If I'm, if I'm there when I see Jesus ascend, and I hear Him tell me to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but tarry in Jerusalem till I'm endued with power from on high, and I go to Jerusalem and I put myself in a room and I start praying... I know that I'd be praying what I'd be praying for. I'd be praying for that power to go ahead and come. Lord, I'm chomping at the bit. I want to go. I want to tell these people. You've told me to wait. You've told me to tarry until that power comes. I'm ready to go. Send that power. I'm ready. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, You shall receive power for that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They were already indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. They had been saved by faith. This was an enduing of God's working power upon their lives. The old Moody said this, there's a difference between the indwelling and the undoing. One is something that takes place in the inner part. The other is something that rests upon. Oh, that we would pray for God to give us power. We're living in a day where our world is starving for God's power to move in a mighty way. And He does so through the obedience and the willingness to be used of His people. All that we would yearn for and long for the power of God to rest upon us. To accomplish His work in this world. That we would give as much time praying and seeking for God to to go forth in power and in might as we serve. As we do reading our Bibles. We would seek for God's power to rest upon us. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 34. Isaiah chapter number 34. <coughs> Verse number 16, he says this Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and uh, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail, none shall want her mate, for my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. It needs to be a might and a power associated with the proclaiming of God's Word. That His Word would not return void. Wouldn't it be better if God's Word worked because of us rather than in spite of us? Because of a willing heart. Because of a vessel that says, Lord, I want to be clean. I want to be holy. I want to be fit for the Master's use. I want to be fully yielded, completely moldable. I want Your Holy Spirit to do His work through me. Oh, that I can just have a small part. What a privilege it is to serve God. And yet how little, how little we dedicate ourselves to seeking for God's strength and God's might and God's power in accomplishing this work that He's given us to do. I could share story after story men and women throughout history that had given themselves to laboring in fervent prayer for God's might and God's power and the blessings that fell because of that. The great revivals, the souls that came to saving knowledge of God because just some people that knew how to get on their knees and ask God for His moving. We cannot force the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. I like what one fellow said years ago. He said, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon them. And that's when revival will come.
that we would pursue God's power in declaring His Word. And we seek for the Holy Spirit to do a work through us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to declare the thing that we hold most precious, the truth of God's Word. Number three, we need to work and labor diligently to correct and then maintain a proper focus. What do we mean by that? Let's look in Luke chapter 19 and let's let the Bible kind of give us our focus. Can we do that? Let's, let's let the Bible be our glasses. I remember a number of years ago, I've shared this before, I was in sixth grade and I could not see the blackboard. I sat in the very front row, asked the teacher if I could move up. There were days that she'd be writing things and I was only about from here to the piano from the blackboard and I said, uh, Miss Demon, I can't see that. I, I, is, can I walk up to the blackboard? And she let me walk up to the blackboard. It was embarrassing for me in front of the class. I had to get up and walk up to the board to read it and write things down that she had written on the board. After about two or three weeks of this, she thought, he's just, he's just doing that to be disruptive of the class. And I got in trouble for it. She took me to my dad's office. And my dad took out an eye chart. I don't know where he got it. He said, read the smallest letter you can. I said, E. And I was only like three feet away from it. And that was about all I could see. I mean, literally, I, I was that blind. If I take my glasses off right now... I can't see my notes right there. I mean, they're, they're, there's a white paper, and that's it. And they've been that way since sixth grade. And I, I remember my dad finally being convinced. My mom, bless her heart, finally, I think, talked my dad into getting my eyes examined. Went down to Eckerd Drugstore. They examined my eyes, and they had to order the glasses. It took about a week to come in. I remember when those glasses came, and they put them on my face for the first time. We walked out of the little booth where they were putting my glasses on, and I stood behind the cash register. I did not know that you could see the products that were hanging on the panel behind the cash register or that you could read the prices on them. I didn't know this. I didn't know you could stand away from a tree without being in it and see individual leaves. I had never seen individual leaves from a distance before. Now, I knew they were there. I'd climbed a lot of trees. I just thought that's the way everybody saw. I didn't even realize I couldn't see until I couldn't see in front of my peers and my... My friends, they were all seeing from the back row, and I couldn't see from the front row. And I say that to say this, that it is possible even for God's people to have a wrong focus and not even know it. Oblivious to the fact. We just think this is the way it is. But God's Word has a way of bringing these things into focus if we follow what it says. Let's look what it says. Luke chapter number 19. And look with me in verse number 10. Luke chapter 19. Verse number 10. For the Son of Man is come. For what reason? What does it say? What does Jesus say is His reason for coming? For the Son of Man has come what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, that is the focus the reason we're left here to serve the Lord is not so we can get the bigger boat and the bigger house and to enjoy life. Now, I think we can have things and enjoy things. I don't think there's something wrong with that. But that's not why we were left here. We were left here for a purpose. We were left here to accomplish Christ's work on this earth. His work was to seek and to save that which was lost. And we need to bring this back into focus once again that the main thing is, is that we see souls saved, that the truth of God's Word 
go into the hearts of men. It is not for us to, to just come every week and sit in a pew and soak it all in and then go home and say, boy, I'm glad I've got that knowledge. I've now got to take it and do something with it. I've now got to propagate it. I've got to send it to someone else. I've got to, I've got to teach others also these things. Somebody said it this way, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And we're living in a day where we've allowed the minor things of life to become major in our churches. And we've allowed the major things of life to become the minor things in churches. Look with me in John chapter number 10. What else was the reason that Christ came? John chapter number 10. I was sharing the other day at the funeral service for Miss Florence. I started off the message because... Again, I wanted the truth of what was getting ready to be said about salvation to be based on an authority. And the authority was this, God's Word is truth. God gave us this book for two reasons. Number one, to show us how to be saved. And I'm thankful we know that. How to be saved by the Word of God. But secondly, to show us how we are to live once we are saved. Look with me in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. God came to show us how to get saved and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And He showed us, He came to show us how to have life and to have it more abundantly. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out to live rightly, to do the work that He's given us to do. Folks, we're living in a day where there's a lot of Christian organizations by name that are saying, we have the answers. If the world will just follow what we teach, everything will be alright. Morality will be okay. The ethics of man will be okay. The politics will be okay. The economy will be okay. And spiritually, you'll be okay. And the truth is, they're not helping with any of it. Because they're preaching truth that is based on a sandy foundation. There is no substance to it. They're, they're taking a, 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 a... I think Brother Harold or somebody sent me a video here about a year or so ago. This guy brought a table. And he put a table, a little desk on the platform. And he talked about how it had been his father's desk and all these lessons that this desk had taught him in life. And he's teaching things. And I'll be real honest with you. If you need a life coach, the principles he taught probably weren't bad principles. But there's no authority. That desk doesn't teach us anything. That desk is a piece of wood. In fact, the Bible says there's going to come a time in the last days where they're going to glorify the creation more than the Creator. And those are the folks that are the Antichrist and the false witnesses. And folks, we got to get out of this thing of thinking we can logic and we can illustrate our way out of these things and come back to what is the truth of God's Word saying? What does this book tell us? We need, to know, we need to hear it, we need to know it, we need to keep it, and we need to do it. Why? Because this world is in a mess. And you and I as God's people are the answer to it. To take this precious gift that God has left, the most precious thing that He has today is His Word. And He has placed that in your hands and He's placed that in my hands and said, now go take it to a world that needs to hear it. How are we doing? How are we doing? 
Well, if I look at the world today, I'd have to say we're not doing a real good job. We're failing. Oh, that we would learn to seek for God's power, God's help in accomplishing His work. We would have the right kind of focus. I, years ago, I heard a fellow <clears throat> use this illustration. I've used it a few times myself. My, my, when I was married, I was, in fact, I was talking to my kids just this week about it. When I was married, my wife, whenever we'd have company over for the house, uh, she, she always kept a nice house and good house, and it was clean. But, um, but we lived in it. It wasn't a museum, okay? We lived in it. We had company come over. I'd tell her, hey, they know we live here. They know we didn't just rent this place out and come and meet them here. But she would go fanatical. I mean, literally. And my kids laugh at this. She'd clean everything, even things that didn't need to be cleaned, she'd clean. She'd wash the Dawn dishwashing soap. She'd wash it so that it was clean enough to wash the other stuff with. And almost that, almost that bad. And I, I, I've shared this before. We had a huge bay window in our house. She'd clean those things spotless, you know. And we'd be sitting in the living room sometimes with people, and if something were to happen outside the window, outside in the street, a loud noise or a car go by or something, and so I drew their attention, everybody's attention, and said, boy, look at that out there. That's, that's, and everybody would look out through that window, and they'd see what was going on outside except for one person, my, my former wife. She wouldn't see what was going on outside. You know what she would see? She'd see the one spot that one of the kids came back and put their handprint on after she'd washed that window. Now, we're all looking the same place. The same thing is available to be seen by everybody. The problem is we saw what we focused on. And one of the big problems we're facing today is we don't have a right focus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came that men might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And these are the things we need to keep the main thing. We need to focus on those. Second, only to our personal walk with God ought to be the outreach of reaching souls with the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear sometimes that we put so much focus on our personal walk with the Lord that we do it at the exemption of everything else. Folks, our personal walk with the Lord is the most important part. But we cannot stop there. We must now go out and take those things which we have learned and commit them also to faithful men who are able to teach others also. We're living in a day where, folks, we need a revival in our country. We need a revival of God's people 